Welcome to Turning the Page, Lexington Public Library's podcast where we discuss library happenings, take a behind-the-scenes look at different parts of the library, and of course, book recommendations and author interviews. I'm your host, Jennifer. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Today we're talking to Savannah Sipple. Savannah Sipple is the author of WWJD and Other Poems, which was included on the American Library Association's Over the Rainbow recommended LGBT reading list. It explores what it is to be a queer woman in Appalachia and is rooted in the culture and in her body. A writer from East Kentucky, her writing has been published in Salon, Go Magazine, Southern Cultures, Split This Rock, and other places. She is also the recipient of grants from the Money for Women, Barbara Deming Memorial Fund, and the Kentucky Foundation for Women. A professor, editor, and writing mentor, Savannah resides in Lexington with her wife. Hi, Savannah. Welcome to Turning the Page. Would you like to give us a little introduction to yourself? Sure. My name is Savannah Sipple, and I'm a writer from Eastern Kentucky. And I primarily write poetry, but I also, I write essays and I'm working on a novel and I teach at BCTC here in Lexington. I live here in Lexington now and my wife and I live here. We have a little dog, (laughs) a Yorkie, who is quite the personality, so. (laughs) Doesn't Lucky have its own Instagram page or something? (laughs) He does have his own Instagram page. It needs to be updated. (laughs) I started his Instagram (laughs) as a way to adjust to living with him because it was quite an adjustment for both of us, I think. so. (laughs) Yes, I can see that. (laughs) He was very, you know, had his mom and that was his mom. (laughs) Yeah, he's a very strong personality. So we we had a hard time getting used to each other. That's that's great. (laughs) Well, I'm going to start off asking you just a few questions. My first question to you is, is there a poem that inspired your interest in poetry or a poet? If so, what was the poem or the poet? Yeah, there is. I have always loved to read, and I think that I lacked poetry for a long time because of the musicality of it and, you know, the way it rhymes and has a rhythm, even though I don't write formally and with a set rhythm or set beat. But when I was... 15, I was introduced to the poet Mary Oliver. Oh, yes. In her collection, Dreamwork, she has a poem called The Journey. And so that was one of the first poems, and she was one of the first poets that I just really was fascinated by. You know, in school, we were taught different poems and poets, but Mary Oliver sort of kicked it off for me. That collection, Dreamwork, was the first collection like for, that I remember reading a poet's whole collection, like a whole book. And so I really connected with her work because I grew up in Eastern Kentucky in a very rural place. And Mary Oliver is someone who wrote a lot about the natural world. And to me, it hadn't really occurred to me that that was something you would write about a whole lot. Like, it just felt like maybe that would get boring But she made it so much more than just, you know, writing about something in nature. And so, yeah, she's one of the first poets who really hooked me. Oh, wow. I could could totally get that because I'm a big fan of hers as well. So (laughs) what inspires your poetry? And has that changed with when you first started writing poetry to writing poetry now? I think when I first started, I mean, I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. And I think poetry 
was fun because I could play around and make things rhyme and I could count syllables and, you know, make Mm -hmm. them sound like it had a rhythm. I think I've always, to some extent, written about things around me or my own experiences, but I think that my perspective has shifted, of course. Mm -hmm. I also think that the way that I think about poetry has changed a lot. I mean, you grow up and with maturity, different things I think affect your writing. Your life experiences affect your writing. Well, especially I guess when I think about my education and what I was being taught, like literature and what poems they would use, you know, Robert Frost and you know things like that, which are fantastic. And I do think that that probably grabs some people because some people, like you said, have this thing about the sounds or the the beat of how things work or the how the words kind of come out and how they sound are really important. Are you musical in any way? Do you play an instrument? It just makes me think of that. Well, so I I played the piano for a long time. I don't anymore. I did play it for a long time, though, and then I also, when I was in school, played the trombone. Oh, okay. I've always wanted to learn how to play the drums and just never have, but I don't really play anything right now. I went through a stint in college where I tried to learn the guitar, and I was not very successful with that. But, yeah, I mean, I think in school and stuff, you're taught people like Robert Frost, and there's nothing wrong with Robert Frost. No, yeah. But there are so many other poets out there who have such valuable perspectives Rita Dove is one of the other poets who I really was drawn to um, as a young writer, and particularly her book on the bus with Rosa Parks. And so, oh yes, there are a lot of different writers who have shaped, I think, the way I write and the way I think about writing. And a lot of times, we're just not taught with a lot of diverse authors, and so that's something I really tried to do is diversify my reading. I also, when I teach, try to teach diversely and more of from a worldview perspective rather than just Mm -hmm. old white men or one perspective I try to include a lot of different folks that's great yeah because if not I mean I think people are missing out on like finding out that there are people like themselves who are actually doing these great things or writing these wonderful you know writing and are successful I recently read your essay about Betty White who passed away in December of 2021 and it was it was really moving, and, and I just loved your openness uh, of your of your essay. And so how did you really start freelancing? Well, I think with the freelancing, it sort of just came from wanting to get essays published. And so I write a few different kinds of essays. Like, a lot of them typically have a personal slant to them. Mm-hmm. Some of them are more geared for, like, literary magazines, and I've published some of those. But the essay about Betty White, it was published in Salon, and I've written one other thing for there and a couple of pieces for some other places. A lot of those tackle broader issues. Yes. And so for me, finding publications that reach a broader audience Mm -hmm. was important to me because publishing that in a literary magazine would be fine and they would have a readership. But with that particular essay, it's talking about queer acceptance and accepting myself and how the Golden Girls really helped me kind of do that, particularly Betty White. And so for it to be published in a place like Salon, I think gave it a chance to be read by more people. You know, freelancing can be about trying to get paid, and it's nice to be paid when you publish something. But for me, it's more about, you know, what am I trying to say in this essay or in this piece? And where would be the best kind of place to publish it to reach 
whoever, whichever kind of reader I'm trying to reach. So in your freelancing, how would it work? Would you send a piece to them and hope and see if they were interested in the piece? Or would it be something where you had a connection with someone at Salon and you would say, I have this piece, are you interested? Typically, you pitch the piece okay. to an editor. I do know someone at Salon, and so there was a way for me to say, Betty White passed away. I'm writing this essay as a way to, I don't know. It, it was a way to process it, but also it just felt important, like, because there's so much to say about her. Yes. But also the way that she just sort of, for me, exuded acceptance. Yes. Both on the show, The Golden Girls, but in her personal life. I felt like that was important to say. And so the person that I reached out to at Salon said, I'm going to send you, send your pitch. I pitched it to her. And she said, I'm going to send it over to our editor in this particular section. They'll look at your pitch and reach out to you. And so that's how it happened. Sometimes you pitch and an editor will respond. If it's a place, you know, you don't have a connection. Sometimes you'll pitch and you just get a form rejection. Or sometimes occasionally you won't hear anything forever. (laughs) I'm sure they they get tons of pitches. Yeah. The Betty White piece was timely, and so there was that component. Sometimes it's not as urgent Mm -hmm. for it to be looked at. So there's, you know, a lot of different ways to approach it. Yeah. I did, from your website, read several of your essays, and I I just really thought it was – I just loved your openness, and uh, reading the Betty White piece really struck me because I know a couple people who feel very much the same way you do – and their take of Betty White and how they also, too, found acceptance to Betty White's character on Golden Girls and also in her personal life. So it just hit me very personal to me that that I have a connection to someone who is very much who feels the same way. So I just thought it was really great. <laughs> so thank um, you. And I enjoyed several of the pieces. And so really do hope you get to write more <laughs> freelancing stuff because I, I really like your voice and how you how you write. So. Thank you. So it was great. Thank a great you. piece. So you also teach. Can you talk about that experience and do the young people that you work with inspire you in any way? Yeah, I started teaching at a community college in the eastern part of the state and really started teaching because I needed teaching experience at that level. I'm not a high school or K through 12 certified mm-hmm. teacher. I specifically wanted to teach in higher education. I was not as familiar with teaching community college students. But I really have sort of just grown to love that demographic. And so I've really, I don't know, there's just something about community college students. I really love working with them. I think part of it is I have sort of a mix of students. Like they're not all straight out of high school. Some of them are Mm non-traditional. They have a wide variety of life experience. And so that's, that makes for an interesting classroom for them to learn from each other. And now is this, is this a creative writing or is this sort of more of a literature kind of class? So it's usually freshman composition. Okay. It's like your introductory English 101, 102. Right. I do teach a creative writing class usually once a year. And then I also teach Appalachian Studies. So it's, you know, it's a mix of classes. I have taught several different kinds of classes, but I don't know. I just really like working with the community college students. I've also worked with students in an MFA program and taught with an MFA program for a semester. And I also really enjoyed that. It's a different kind of teaching. Um, And I've mentored writers and worked with them one-on-one. 
So I think that's also leans more towards the creative writing part. So it's like two different components of writing, but I really enjoy it. Oh yeah. I could see where you could get, especially when you're talking about varying ages of people or where they are in their education and how you can learn from each other in a classroom setting and just how you can pass ideas from back, you know, which is great. Well, BCTC is really diverse too, in terms of like race and social class and also, you know, just all kinds of different demographics. And so it really, it creates a really interesting learning environment. So I really enjoy it. That's great. So in your teaching, is there a subject that is your passion? Yes. You know, I, so what I'm currently teaching, I really love teaching Appalachian studies. Yes. I'm teaching a lot of students who, well, I actually get a mix of students, some students who are somewhat familiar or even from Appalachia, but then I also get students who really have very little understanding of Appalachia. Mm-hmm. So it makes, it creates a, I don't know, an opportunity for me to sort of meet them where they're at and help them break down some of their misconceptions or understand some of the history of the region and why some of the things that have happened there have happened. But also for students who are from there, it helps give them a sense of pride Yes, to see that their culture is something that's worth being taught or learned about because mm-hmm. we're not often, my experience was often not one that was taught. I wasn't taught that Appalachia had a lot of value. All right. And so I think that's something that I really work hard to do is to capture the historical context for the students, but also like the diversity of the region and the ways that it's shaped by other cultures, but also the way it shapes other cultures. Oh, yeah. And so I really enjoy that class. Is there, I don't want to put you on the spot, but is there, so if you were someone new to this understanding of Appalachia, is there a a book or a writer that you would suggest that people could, you know, maybe get a good understanding Yeah, I think there are several different kinds of writing, first of all. With nonfiction, I think one of the strongest books that has come out recently is something is called What You're Getting Wrong About Appalachia by Elizabeth Catt. And it's a real, it's a, it's not a very long book, but it's a good book that tackles some of the misconceptions that are played out in the media about the region. Oh, yeah. It's really fantastic. But then I think, you know, reading fiction and poetry and stuff from people who are from the region. So, you know, authors like Silas House and Crystal Wilkinson, obviously, I think are really important. And you can get a good sense of what the region's like just from what they're saying in their novels. But then there are a lot of really fantastic newer, more emerging writers like Robert Gopp or... Leah Hampton or Misha Marin, who are from different parts of the region who really capture and tackle some of the issues like drug use and poverty and their portrayal of the region and the way that their stories try to capture, you know, what it's really like without over romanticizing it or demonizing it. Cause there's, it, oh, it's yeah. hard. It's easy to do one or the other. Right. Without um, maybe even meaning to, it can, can be come off. It can. Yeah. And so they try really hard not to do that. And it, they have, there's a lot of really fantastic emerging stuff coming out. I say emerging. Some of them are probably more established than 
just that. But yeah, there's a lot of fantastic stuff going That's on. That's really great. So thank you for that because didn't mean to put you on the spot, but I do think about the you know writers from that area, and there's there's so many wonderful people that probably don't get their due <laughs> that live in that area. They're really doing fantastic things, like actual artwork to actually writing and music and. Well, and these are people who, you know, have lived there and not just lived there, but lived there, worked there, understand the history of what's happened in Appalachia in terms of the way it's been exploited and what has gotten us to this place with some of the struggles we have. And so it, I don't know, I find that kind of writing much more valuable than people who just think they have an opinion and can prove it or think they can try to prove it. (laughs) Oh yeah. Because they've been there once or twice or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I think I know where you're going with that comment. (laughs) 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 So our very last question is a question we ask all our people we interview and it is, what are you reading? I'm pulling out my phone so that I can pull up my (laughs) list. All right. Give us a list. So right now I am reading a lot of queer writing. Okay. Mainly, I mean, I'm a queer author, and so that's part of it. But also, there's a lot of books coming out that are by other LGBTQ authors that, you know, that kind of literature doesn't always get a lot of attention. That's Um, true. So I have just finished Sky Falling by Mia McKenzie, which won the Lambda. And so that was part of why I read it. And then I've also read I Kissed Cheryl Wheeler. By Casey McQuiston, which I think is one that a lot of people were excited for her. Yeah. Yeah. I've also read a book called Homefield Advantage. And I read The Summer Place by Jennifer Weiner, which is not um, an LG. She's not an LGBTQ author, but. She's a popular writer. (laughs) She is. And I like like reading her in the summer. She writes about P-Town a little bit, Life on the Cape. And I love Provincetown. Yes. Have you listened to that podcast? Not yet. Yeah, uh, it's, it's on my list. Yeah, I started listening to it. It's very interesting. And you feel like you're just immersed in, if you get a chance to listen to it, welcome to P-Town. If you get a chance to listen to it, you really do feel like you're just like walking along with these people. as. <laughs> so I highly recommend it if you don't know anything about Provincetown. <laughs> yeah, and I've been reading some Silas House. I, I've been going back and looking at some of his stuff. He has a new book coming out in the fall. So I wanted to revisit one or two of my favorites of his. Is this something that's, do you know if it's like part of a, a trilogy? Like part of that is a whole new story. I, it's a whole new story. It's set. It's not really futuristic, but it's sort of dystopian a little bit. But it it's a, the character is queer and he's traveling from the United States to Ireland because he's, it's no longer legal to be gay, basically. Oh, gotcha. And so some extreme fundamentalists have taken over. And so he's traveling and he's trying to get to a certain place in Ireland. And so it's about his journey there. But within that, it's about his journey of who he is and how he came to be who he is. And I'm really excited about it. So he's a wonderful writer. So yeah, so I'm excited about that for him. And then I want to mention Ada Lamone because she's a Kentucky poet who was just named the National Poet Laureate. Yes, I read that. It's amazing. She just had a book come out earlier this year called The Hurting Kind, which I've I've read. I have I read it when it when it first came out a few months ago. But I want to mention that because those are two Kentucky folks that I think are doing good things. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I'm really I'm trying to write a lot, so I'm not reading quite as much right now. Right. So you're in the middle of writing. Yeah. So yeah. 
So yeah, but that's what I've sort of been well, into thank lately. You. Yeah, that's a great list. Thank you so much for coming. I appreciate your time and thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank okay. you for having me. Yeah, we'd love to see you come back. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> Hi everyone, I'm Erin, the producer for Turning the Page. Welcome to our segment called Behind the Scenes. Each month, I'll take a step out from behind the scenes to introduce you to someone else at the library whose work is also typically out of the public eye. Today I'm talking to Lori Davis, Workforce Development Manager, about the library's efforts around workforce development. Welcome, Lori, to Behind the Scenes. We're very happy to have you on to talk about the library's efforts in workforce development. So what is workforce development? Sure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate having the opportunity to talk about workforce development, Erin. So I appreciate you inviting me. So the definition that I use that's more of an academic definition of workforce development is one that is a wide range of activities and supports policies and programs that we utilize to help create, sustain, retain a viable workforce in our community. And I have borrowed this particular definition from Lynn Harrelson, who spoke at the Federal Reserve Bank. And so that's kind of what I like to do when I am creating and formulating activities is to really hone in on making sure that we are creating, sustaining, and retaining people who are able to help our community here in Lexington grow. Fantastic. So why is it so important for libraries to be involved in workforce development? Libraries have been involved in workforce development probably since the inception of a library. Libraries, as you know, are very trusted institutions and communities across the world. And our frontline staff members are daily asked to do a multitude of things. And a lot of those relate to helping people find a job, helping them identify how to develop a resume, cover letter, really exactly how to position themselves for the next step in their employment journey. So libraries are doing it, whether we want to or not. Most librarians I have talked to really embrace the role that we play in workforce development and really helping as much as I can to support them with resources. So they are effectively helping our patrons and other folks who just drop in when they're in our community. So what's your favorite program that we've held so far? Oh, Erin, I can't believe you want me to just pick (laughs) one of these It's like asking your favorite child. (laughs) Exactly. Well, the answer, of course, is all of them because they all have had specific meanings and foci to help figure out how to get folks who have come through COVID to really think about how to reskill, how to upskill, how to make the best career plan for them. And so, gosh, we've had three take-home job fairs where 
individuals have come to our locations, picked up a tote full of materials, resources, and some swag relating to open positions in the area. And that has been really good, particularly for those who are reluctant for whatever reason to be out and about. And you you can't blame people. And so Clarissa Thomas, who is our director of education here at Lexington Public Library, came up with the approach. Let's continue to reach out to people. And the take-home job fairs have really been doing that. And they go very fast and we're very pleased. Employers have also been very open to sending us their open positions because they know that people are confident in the library. And so we've done really well with those. We've had just recently our first on-site healthcare job fair And gosh, that was great. And we're going to have some more upcoming. Yet, I I really liked that because it was the first since COVID began this whole two years of what happened (laughs) to us. And it just seems to me that they were really happy, the healthcare targeted employers were very pleased to have the opportunity to talk to people face-to-face. So I've had six Google career workshops and webinars online. We have had a relationship with Google since probably January, February of this year, where we are pushing out career-targeted, focused workshops, webinars that really target the job search process, resumes, how to conduct yourself in interviews to maximize the potential of getting the job you're seeking. And I really have enjoyed doing those. We had our first presentation in Spanish last week. So we were excited that we are reaching throughout our community. And that was a favorite of mine. I probably really, really favor Uh our collaboration with the city of Lexington and many other partners when we did the expungement clinic and job fair in April of this year. And if you could just see the faces of people who came out of that clinic, it it was just really heartwarming, the tears, the cheers, people who had from all aspects of our community, all demographics, who were relieved to know that finally they would have the opportunity to have these misdemeanors and or felonies removed from their record for years. So, okay, that one is pretty near and dear to my heart, too. Yeah, that one was very important to our community, and I'm so glad that we were able to do that one. I am, too. There are many individuals who are struggling because of their justice involvement in the past, and it is great as a result of 
the pandemic that we have broadened our mindset mm -hmm. to help facilitate these folks moving back into society so that they can engage more civically in our communities. Agreed. So what sorts of things are upcoming for workforce development programming? Wow, I can tell you a lot of Google career workshop webinars will be on tap. I can clearly expect more take-home job fairs. We do them on a quarterly basis. We are now targeting and trying a new thing we did with the healthcare take-home job fair, which is upcoming next week. Next week, okay. And we are targeting the high-demand, high-wage classifications of jobs. And so the next one will be in the fall. Great. And the emphasis will be on information technology and business so we can help that sector grow and to help facilitate good jobs with benefits to help uplift our community members. That's wonderful. So this is a library podcast, so we have to ask, what are you reading? You know, I am one of those library readers who picks up a book, reads 20 pages, puts it down and goes, oh, I see another book. <laughs> and then I pick up another one. Yeah. And so I'm probably reading six or seven. Right now, I'm a huge reader. And I did not have the chance to completely read through the Some of Us book. Yeah. And so I am right now probably three quarters of the way in the Some of Us book. And it has just been very eye-opening what we are doing to our community members. And it is unfair, but the focus is on how do we move forward from where we are. And the author talks a lot about the solidarity dividend. What do we need to do to move forth together? Let's recognize that we are all on the same planet, what are we going to do to move our society forward? And how do we do that? And let's focus less on the things that have been previously used to divide us. So I am knee deep dug in to that particular book. I'm enjoying it. I am a really big reader of mysteries. So I'm looking forward to jumping into some mystery soon. I love fiction. And I, I'm gonna find a really good book. Yes, you will. All right. Thank you so much, Lori, for coming on. We really appreciate you talking to us. Aaron, it has been a pleasure, a delight. I look forward to having more conversations with you in the future. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Turning the Page, a podcast brought to you by Lexington Public Library staff. If you've enjoyed listening, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions or suggestions for future podcasts, you can email us at elibrarian at luxpublive.org. That's elibrarian at lexpublive.org. 
I'm Jennifer, and we'll be back to turn another page.